This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy long weekend. It's so good to be in church on this great weekend. The series is entitled, You Lost Me at Leviticus, and I've lost my microphone, so it's appropriate. Um... I'm, I am so excited about what God is doing around here. Listen, in pre-service prayer this morning, if you, um, every week from 9.30 to 10, a bunch of us gather, and increasingly more of us gather, it's really awesome uh, to hear God's voice and to listen to what he's saying and to pray together. And listen, this week after 9.30, I thought, that's enough, we can go home now. But the rest of you were coming, so we're, we're here still. Um, I just know God is up to something in these days. Listen, for years we were singing, uh, even before the pandemic, we were singing, even though I can't see him, he's working, and, and it really seemed like we couldn't see what was going on. But I, 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 uh, I want you to know that the things that you have prayed for in the quiet places, God has seen. And your hearts cry you've told nobody else about God has heard. And I, I believe we're living in days that we are going to see God doing miracles again. I, I believe doing miracles. Uh, but I, I just believe we're going to live into a season of profound, um, the profound moving of God and his Holy Spirit. I, I know that for many of you, you've been praying for loved ones to come back to Jesus. You've been praying for people to have a profound experience with Jesus. And I, I believe we're living in those days that God is going to wake people up. Okay. Well, we're in the middle of a series called You Lost Me at Leviticus. And uh, I, I hope that for many of you that it's been helpful. Um, you know, over the last two weeks, we have admitted that some of us have been practicing our speed reading skills <laughs> when we get to the book of Leviticus. You know, the, and, now, and now it's great because you can speed scroll and it really has nothing to do with your skill level. It's just you and your finger going as fast as you can, like you are like a power reader. Um, and, that, and that's um, often for many of us how Leviticus has been. Uh, some of you have read it like a high school textbook. Did any of you ever try this where you put the textbook down on your pillow at night? You believed in the power of osmosis. But somehow, I can remember praying prayers like this. God, would you really help me for this exam? Because you said that I have the mind of Christ. Also, you can do miracles. And you can help me. Right? Anybody prayed those prayers? Now, if parents, if you did right now, I realize you have to have a poker face at this point in time. Because you have teenagers sitting next to you who are in the middle of midterms right now. Uh, but some of us, this is how we, we thought about Leviticus. Maybe also Numbers and maybe portions of Deuteronomy. Um, but my hope is in this, the, in this series that we would begin to understand a little bit of the depth found in this book and that we would, really, we, we would really understand the scripture that says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, even Leviticus, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete equipped for every good work. I don't know about you, but I'm looking to be a complete person of God. I don't want to be at 73%. I don't want, I, listen, I don't want to die and have God look at me and say, hey, good job, 43%. I'm looking to be complete. 
And my prayer for all of us is that we would grow up in the things of God. And part of the way that we grow up, and this is true of any other thing in life too, the only way you grow up is by doing hard things. Right? I mean, it'd be great if we could just do easy things. But you know that this is true of your life. The times where you've grown up is when you've, you've learned to do hard things. You learned to balance that budget. You learned to drive that car on the Deerfoot. You learned how to get up on time for work and get there. You learned, yes, amen. You learned how to do, th this is true of all, but in our spiritual lives, this is also true. And this is why we're studying the book of Leviticus. Because somehow when you do hard things together, it's better, yes? Yes, I started working out again. I know this is like a refrain you hear from me often. But, uh, but I'm really becoming a bodybuilder this time, everyone. <laughs> That's my, yeah, <laughs> Dave is clapping so as to like move me. But I realize it's so hard to do this by yourself. Like, do you know when you set out in January, like, this is going to be the year, I'm going to be really in shape. And then it's so hard by yourself because you lose track. And you're also really, you're, you're not that hard on yourself. Do you know that? Because you do like five jumping jacks and you're like, I'm kind of breaking a sweat. Good enough. I'm really like really powering through. Or you do like three push-ups. I can't even do a push-up, so let's, okay, you do three fake push-ups, and then you're like, you know what, it's, you know what, it's, what counts is that I showed up today. I read that on an Instagram meme. What counts is that I came here. But when you do it with other people, my workout partner is here today, and she, no, no, because I'm watching her sweat doing all the things. Nope, I cannot cheat. I cannot do four, four, when we do things together. So this is why we're studying, this is why every year, so somebody asked me last week in the foyer, why do you always pick like a weird book of the Bible in February? Why can't you just preach about love or something like that? <laughs> Partly it's because I think as Christians, it's, this is a hard book, but we're gonna do it together. We're gonna learn together. This is not about the singular I. This is about the corporate we. We get to do things together and so we're gonna, talk about Leviticus together. Okay, so today, if you haven't been here, uh, let me just give you a little bit of a rundown. The first week, we laid down the foundation of Leviticus, and we talked about how Leviticus was direct, written directly after the Israelites were freed from 500 years, almost 500 years of slavery. And it's a manual for priests. Levite is the word for priest. And uh, it's a manual for how to be a priest. And it really answers the question, how do you teach people to live in freedom after so many years of captivity? And this is why it's an extraordinary book for us to talk about as well, because many of us have lived in, in all kinds of captivity. Leviticus teaches us how to live in freedom. And then last week, we talked about the seven offerings. We talked about how the word offering was mind-blowing for the people then, because it's the word korban, which means to draw near to God. And all throughout the beginning of Leviticus is not God shooting lightning bolts at people. It's a, God, it's a God saying, draw near to me. Come close to me. This is the mind-blowing amazingness of Leviticus. The first three offerings we found are just free will offerings. God didn't say you have to do them. He said this is how you actually live in joy and freedom. Okay. So this week we're going to look at chapters 8 to 10. And we want to discuss the role of priests um, I heard one commentator, or I read one commentator say that these chapters could be entitled Guys with Beards in Robes. And so I've taken it a step further. Today is brought to you by dudes with beards 
and ropes. <laughs> That's what we're going to learn about today. If somebody asks you, what did you learn about in church today? This is, you just take a screenshot of this. And you can, it's powerful. Okay, here's what we're going to do today. Uh, the good news is, is that there's so much in these three chapters that I believe are going to unlock all kinds of things for you, both in understand, your understanding of God and our understanding as Jesus followers today. The bad news is there is so much in these three chapters that we will never get to it all. So uh, we're going to fly at 10,000 feet. I'm going to sort of give you a, a um, paraphrase of the first three chapters or a summary, so to speak, and then we're going to do our weekly installment of fun facts because that's important when you're teaching on Leviticus. Try to keep it fun. I tried to convince the sound people and Dave that we should do fun music during fun facts, but they rejected that idea, so it's okay. We're a team. And then I want to put it on the ground to, for us. How does this relate to us? What does this have to do with my life today? Um, how do these texts shape us and make us into the people of God, fully formed, that God wants us to be? Okay, so uh, in Leviticus 1 through 7, we heard about all the offerings that, that, the, that the Israelites, who were newly freed slaves, were to bring to God. And it begs the question, who's going to do all this work? It's nice that God has laid out all this work. Who's going to do it? And in chapters 8 through 10, we learn that is actually the priests that are going to do it. Uh, let's just read uh, Leviticus 8, verses 5 through 9. It says, Moses said to the assembly, this is what the Lord commanded to be done, all the offerings. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. He put the tunic on Aaron, he tied the sash around him and clothed him with a robe and put the ephod on him. He also fastened the ephod with a decorative waistband, which he tied around him. He placed the breastpiece on him and put the urim and the thummim in the breastpiece. Then he placed the turban on Aaron's head and set the gold plate, the sacred emblem, on the front of it as the Lord commanded Moses. Okay, so there are a few things to take note of here. Unlike many Bible stories where uh, the characters are being sort of like introduced to us, uh, it, the way that the priests are introduced to us are much different. Oftentimes in Bible stories, it'll say things like, and Saul was a head and shoulders above everybody else, and David was handsome, and Deborah was courageous. For the priests, we hear nothing. They're just dudes with beards and robes on. The, the priests, you actually hear nothing about. In fact, all we hear about Aaron is that he's kind of like a lousy leader. A few chapters before, he had made a golden calf and made everybody dance around it, and people died because of him. And then here in chapter 8 of Leviticus, after all the work, it's going to be God. Moses says, okay, Aaron, you and your sons are up. There's, there's nothing said about them. This is important, and we'll talk about why in a minute. Um, they, they seem to be regular, though. Regular people. Regular slaves turned free people. But I, I want you to see that we remember in Exodus chapter 19, in the first week we talked about this, in Exodus chapter 19, this is the hinge verse for making Leviticus make sense. In Exodus chapter 19, God says, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Okay, so how do you get a whole kingdom of people to be priests if nobody's priests yet? we got to have some example, right? Do you know how when you get Ikea furniture, like, um, I'm sorry, I'm bringing up a, a trauma point for many of you, because <laughs> you thought you were going to grow out of it. Listen, I, Dave and I, we're almost 50. Well, Dave is in his 50s. 
we thought we were going to grow out of IKEA furniture. Let me just speak to the young people here that are 19 and you think that you're buying IKEA furniture for your, you're never going to grow out of IKEA furniture. <laughs> so this is, a, this is a metaphor that fits us all. Okay, listen, if you just got the IKEA furniture with its little lock thing and there was no picture, how would you know you've put the whole wardrobe together backwards? How would you know you put that dresser together upside down? I'm saying this as a person from, from experience. I'm speaking from experience here. This is what God was doing. He said, listen, in Exodus chapter 19, I'm going to create a whole kingdom of priests. But to create a whole kingdom of priests, you got to create some people who are priests first. And so this is what's happening in, in Exodus, I mean, in Leviticus 8. Okay, the, let me just quickly go through the fourfold role of the priests. And we're not going to have time. I'm not going to have time to reference all the scriptures, but if you want to get the newsletter and notes, you can do that this week. Here is the fourfold role, role of the priest. They were, to, number one, help navigate, pe help people navigate atonement. So we talked about this in the first couple chapters. The priests were going to be the ones that did the offerings. And, and we do know, we talked about this last week, that at the end, every day, the priests would go through all five offerings, and then they would say, it is finished. It's amazing. It's a, it's a throw forward to Jesus who, when he died on the cross, said, it is finished. And then they were to put God on display. Listen, the priest's job was to portray to the people, to the neighbors, to the Israelites and to the neighbors around what God was like. Now, this is important for us because we recognize Exodus 19 that says, you are to become a kingdom of Part of our job as followers of Jesus is to show people what God is like. Third, they were to distribute resources to those in need. Part of the reason Christians must be engaged with the poor is because this is our priestly duty to engage with those that are marginalized. It is our role as priests. And if we don't have that, listen, you don't have the option of saying, this is not my thing. Oh, man, I've done this a million times. I remember as a, as a young person, I, in my first year of university, somebody said, you're going to come and um, do this ministry. I was in, living in Vancouver. You're going to come and, like, distribute hot chocolate. And I got down there, and I have a weak stomach. Does anybody else have a weak stomach like me? Like, smells. Wow. Wow, smells are hard. Smells are hard, sights are hard, and I, I get like a real gag reflex. So I went out the first week, and I came home and said, this is not for me, not a ministry for me. I'll pray for you. The Lord be with you as you engage in this ministry for Jesus. But I'm going to do more like um, clean, clean ministry. Uh, the more that I realized, the more that I studied the Word of God, though, the more that I realized that this could not be my posture. This cannot be the posture of any Christian. We can't just say, well, like, I'm more of like a more of a leadership guru? No. The job of the priests, biblically, in the book of Leviticus, was to distribute resources to those in need, which means that we must have proximity to the poor. We must. Somebody said to me, well, why, why do you have a warming center, like, all the way out here in the northwest? It's kind of terrible for the housing prices, because we have to have proximity to the poor. This is our God-given role as priests in the kingdom of God. Okay, and then we're to intercede on behalf of others. It doesn't matter that you're not good at praying. You know how you get good at praying? Keep praying. 
You get good at praying, but just keep on praying. And listen, maybe you're here and you're not, you don't even know, uh, you haven't like walked with Jesus for any amount of time. You, you wouldn't even, de- you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian. The great news is praying is really easy because it's just talking to God. And the way we intercede on behalf of others is we find out about other people. By the way, this connects us to other people. If you are alone in an island under yourself, you can't be praying for the person that sits over here. You, if you don't know anybody, you can't intercede on their behalf. This is why community matters, and it is a foundational part of who we are. We, we, we must know each other. We must ask each other the hard questions because otherwise we cannot engage in our priestly duty of interceding for each other. Okay, so Moses goes through this whole ritual of installing Aaron and his sons as priests, and at the end of the ritual, um, We'll get to some of the wild details soon, but uh, he has them wait at the tent of meeting for seven days. I want to read this scripture because uh, I had read Leviticus 20 or 30 or 40 times, and I'd never seen this before. So let, let's just read it, Leviticus 8, 33 to 35. It says, do not leave the entrance to the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed, for your ordination will last seven days. By the way, when you're studying the Bible, you want to look for words that keep getting repeated over and over again. They should be like a siren to us. Okay. What has been done today was commanded by the Lord to make atonement for you. You must stay at the entrance to the tent of meeting day and night for seven days. Okay, you think they're getting it now? They've said seven days three times. And do what the Lord requires so that you will not die, for this is what I have commanded. Now, if you've been tracking with us over the last two messages, this number seven days should send all kinds of alarm bells up in your mind. The Old Testament writers were master. I mean, the New Testament writers too. But they were master storytellers. And they would uh, place things like this <clears throat> that, that near ancient, uh, near Eastern ancient people would have seen right away. When Moses tells Aaron to, and his sons to stay by the tent for seven days, They were sending the reader back to where? To the creation story. Found in Genesis chapter one and two where God created the heavens and the earth in seven days. And the writer is reminding the reader that God is in fact recreating his people. He is refashioning his people. The people had messed up and they were sinful, but God is creating a way for them. This is amazing because it's done a, 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 so many times. In, we saw uh, in our first week that in the book of Exodus, when God was creating the tabernacle, that there were seven parts to the tabernacle. God was saying, I'm getting ready to recreate something. When we come into the book of Leviticus, we find that there are seven parts to, to, um, to Moses installing the priests. And then he says, wait seven days. This is not coincidence, ladies and gentlemen. This is God saying what kind of a God he is, that he is a recreating kind of God. He's a God that can take our mess, and he can say, I know you're a mess right now, but I'm about to create something new in your life. I'm about to do something new, and this is exactly what he's saying right here in, and what's amazing is what happens after this. Okay, so he says, seven days, you're going to wait there for seven days, and then on chapter nine, in chapter 9, we step into day 8. And, and it says this in chapter 9. This is day 8. Like, it, I've read it a million times and just thought, well, the Bible readers, they just really were into counting. They wanted us to... No, 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 no. There's purpose in all of this. In chapter 9, it says that they stepped into the first day of the new creation. And what we're going to see here is nothing short of miraculous. It says, Then Aaron lifted up his hands... 
the newly installed regular Joe priest who's made a lot of messes. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offering, he stepped down. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of God appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell down, fell face down. Now, I've been to a bonfire or two in my life. I've never been to a bonfire where people are like, whoa, that is fire. We are all filled with joy now, and we're all going to fall face down. This is weird in some ways, yes? Can we, listen, by not acknowledging that biblical texts are strange, what we do is we nullify the content of them. So this is kind of weird, um, but, but I want you to see that the people, once the people were free from their sin, all the offerings had been done. They'd drawn near to God. They'd, they'd actually engaged in that word korban, the coming near. After all their sin had been dealt with, they were able to experience and encounter the very presence of God. Up to this point in the story, the Israelites had just been trying to survive. They were trying to survive Pharaoh. I mean, you try making pyramids for 500 years. You were trying to survive. Then, then they were thinking, if we could just not die in this desert, like if we could just sort of like try to live. But when they get things right, they actually experience God in a way that brings joy and awe. This has profound implications for us today. I don't know where you are in your life right now. Maybe you have felt far from God. I, I, I want you to know that this God that we serve is the same God as the God in Leviticus, who says, come near to me, draw near to me. And when you deal with your sin, God is the ability, listen, the Israelites also, let's just, but the Israelites didn't deal with their sin. They had no ability to deal. What were they going to do to deal with their sin? Nothing. They just were obedient to God. They drew near to him. Many of you probably on the internet have watched what's happening in Kentucky right now at Asbury Seminary. Have any of you seen all this happening? Yeah. So there's been uh, a number of, uh, about a week and a half ago, I think. You can correct me. The days are all funny to me. But God began to move by his spirit at this seminary, and I, I was interested in it because two of my very favorite theologians come from this seminary. And um, God has been moving in a supernatural way, and there's been no production, just people praying for hours, hundreds of hours at a time, God moving in this really, really powerful way. And I was, uh, as I was reading about this, I was reading this scripture in Leviticus chapter 9. I'm thinking that's, that's what we need, everybody. That's what, li listen, that's what's going to um, change us. Production isn't going to change us. I'm thankful for production and lights and whammy bars and drums, and I'm thankful for all of that. I was a rapper in the 80s, but uh, what I do know is that my life will be most, and your life will be most impacted 
when the fire of God comes and consumes us. And that's what we must pray for. We, we have to pray. Listen, this isn't God. God isn't just moving like he didn't start moving in the 1990s at the Toronto. He was moving in Leviticus chapter 9. His fire was still consuming people with joy and awe. And that's what I'm praying for at Journey Church, that people would come and experience this God. N and listen, no, nobody wants to be um, talked into something. I don't want to be talked into something. I don't want to be talked into some product. That, nothing bugs me more than being tried to be talked into buying a ShamWow. <sighs> I, I want to contend and pray for a move of the Spirit of God that fire would come out. And perhaps we won't have little literal firework because I, I don't really want to go camping, but I, I'm praying for the fire of God to come in. Okay. But then we come to chapter 10. This is the only real story, like real, actual story found in Leviticus. And it's a weird one. It might win the prize for one of the weirdest Bible stories. Um, so the priests have been given, okay, so it's day eight. The priests have been given their instruction, and then we come into day, nine, day one day in. Before we get to the story, just let me remind you, we're on day nine now. It's one day in to them being installed. And... Um, God gives the priests very clear instructions, chapter 8, chapter 9, everything's been very clear. But then on chapter 10, we're told the story of two of Aaron's sons who do not follow very clear instructions. Leviticus chapter 8, chapter 10, verse 1 says, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. And they author offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. And Aaron remained silent. This is the part of the text that should make us go, what? Because I thought we just read in chapter 9 that like, the fire of God made everyone like have awe and fall face down. What? And this week, if you're interested, you can read all the interesting ideas about why people think what was happening and why um, Aaron's sons did what they did. But suffice to say, this story stands as a stark reminder that the fire of God is both joy-inducing and not something to be trifled with. And at some visceral level, this makes sense, though, doesn't it? Because you want a God who is good and brings joy but you also want a God who is just and does what he says he is going to do. None of us want to serve a God who just is like laissez-faire, like do whatever you want to do, like whatever. Because that's okay if it's like you're a mess, but it's not okay when somebody hurts you. We serve a God who is holy, and the text tells us this. And this is not a very popular message to preach in the 21st century, and yet it remains true that our God is a consuming fire. And this is also a bit of a hint to us reading the text. Maybe you've never read the text and you're thinking, nice system God set up there. It worked for one entire day. And if you think that, like, whoa, God went to all this trouble to create this system and it didn't quite work it worked for one day 
And if you're a smart, I'm giving you a wink. This text is nodding to the fact that yes, yes. God set up the system, but he knew the system would never be enough. This is why the book of Hebrews says the law, and this is what we're learning about in Leviticus, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would not, and no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Okay, there's this idea found directly in this text that although God was making a way for people to come to him, it would never be enough. What the text is indicating to us is that we're never going to be able to do this on our own. Give up now because if, if, if the priest couldn't do it, and by the way, the priests are regular, just like you and I, so they're, they're us. If they couldn't do it for more than a day, neither can you. And this is why we need Jesus. The Levitical text is always pushing us to Jesus, pushing us to say, well, like, if, what? This is what Leviticus does. Okay, so that's the three chapters. We've got Moses installing the priests. We've got the priests taking on day eight. The glory of God comes, and then the people mess up. And this is the three chapters. Okay, now, now we're going to transition just for a minute before I put it on the ground for what does this mean for us today? Fun facts. Fun facts. I wish I could have a song right now, but I don't. Okay, here's the first fun fact. First fun question. Why are there so many details about the priests and their outfits? Did anybody read this and think, like, some of you were like, I am not interested in going to Fashion Week in New York. What is going on? Why do we have to know about the headband and the turban and the waistband and the breastplate? I mean... And this is a real throw to, um, and I could read them all, but I'm going to encourage you to read them in Leviticus 8 and 9. And really, if you read all throughout Leviticus and Numbers, there's all this happening on. The question we need to ask is, why would the writers think that this was important to tell us? And, and it really comes down to how God orders his new creation. Um, Aaron and his sons... Uh, we're going to put on all these things. It, it, makes, it tells us this one thing, that all of life is elevated when we have God. All of, God take, took the most mundane things, like your clothes. Imagine you've been a slave for more than almost 500 years. Do you know what you're not thinking about? Your fashion. There is nobody doing an Instagram account saying that your jeans are no longer in style. Because you were a slave for 500 years. You are just glad to be wearing something, yes? And what God is doing in the book of Leviticus is saying, all of life belongs to me. Every part of it matters. And, and some of you, listen, you have a bent towards the arts. You have a bent towards fashion. Can I say that that is a nod to a priestly inclination in you that says all of life matters. This is why we cannot make a difference between the secular and the sacred. This is why we don't say to people in churches, hey, hey, you know what? It's really evil if you think about clothes or being cool or anything like that. Or Like if you're a, a painter, we don't really care. We just want... Some of us have a real... Um, we have a real bent towards pragmatism. By that I mean this. Does it work? That's all we care about. And some of you, praise the Lord for those of you that care about if it works. 
we need you. But we also need the artisans among us who don't just say, does it work? They say, is it beautiful? Is it, is it, does it bring glory to God through its beauty? Those of you that make art and design art and cause us to cry when we go to museums, we need you. It is your priestly duty to stand in the congregation of the Lord and ask the question, is it beautiful? This matters. And some of you, uh, some of us need to be set free from our judgment of those of us that care about those kinds of things. Oh, I'm going to step on some toes today. Because some of us have said it's less holy. But if somebody cares about their hair, or they care about their nails, or they, whatever the thing is, they're less holy. Or they care about a car that has all souped up and it's, got, it's less holy. I, w- I want to I want to clearly say that in the kingdom of God, all of life is elevated. All of it matters. And if you have an inclination that way, praise God, that's how God made you. And when you read all those descriptions, you, like I want you to read it with joy, thinking, oh, God cares about all the details. Those of you that are into home and garden things, God cares about that. That's why he's like yelling at us to put the base in here. And the, the, you know, he's like, uh, he's like one of those home makeover people. It, it, by the way, by the way, it is why, have you ever noticed those home makeover things? Like we are like, you pretend you don't watch them. <laughs> but I know what you did during COVID. <laughs> you can watch like show after show. And it's like, it doesn't matter if it's like home makeover or like a person makeover. The person makeovers are kind of awful. Like, can you imagine if one of your friends highlighted you for that? It's so mean. But anyways, we watch them anyways. And like they, the person goes from like, like, to like looking like they're from a, we, we watch them with all kind of, that's, that's a priestly inclination in us. It is. It's a deep calling to transformation. Okay, next fun fact. Uh, what are the er, ermine and, th- yes, Urim and Thummim. I'll tell you the way that I remember it. Uma Thurman, that's what I say. So, so all week long, I was saying, don't say it out loud, don't say it out loud, but now I've told you. This is a weird little thing. You'll never forget it again. Well, somebody asked me about that. What is that? What, what are those? Because it's referred to in Leviticus 8, and they put the Uma, Urman, Urim, and the Thummim inside the breastplate. What is going on? What is that about? And, and as far as we can tell, Theologians, historians will say that they were some kind of decision-making rocks. But but the truth is, nobody knows. (laughs) Nobody knows at all. And I was thinking, I had a bunch of you ask me about this this week, so I thought maybe I won't because I don't know the answer. I have no idea, and neither does any theologian. But here's the point. The mystery and wonder of God's word. You're never going to know it all. Sometimes we just got to read it and go, oh, I don't know. That's, that's what you can ask the Lord when you get to heaven. Just see if you can remember it and not call it Uma Thurman because maybe he'll. But there's something, be- there's something beautiful about that. There's something beautiful about God's word that doesn't give us direct answers to everything. Some of you are looking for a lineup. You want everything answered in a certain way. You want it all buttoned up. You want it to be perfect. I, I just want to say that you're never going to get there. And if you have questions, Great great, that's how I know you, that's how we're walking by faith, living by faith. Some of you haven't made a decision for Jesus yet because you don't have all the answers. The Uma Thurman is here to remind you, you might never get all the answers. At some point, you've got to take a step 
and say, yep, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything, but I am going to trust you because you are good, because I know that you are good. Okay, our third question. Why does Moses put blood on the priest's thumbs, ears, and big toes? What is going on in this part? Why so gross? Okay, so uh, what we do know is that your ears are what you hear. Your thumbs represent what you do with your hands, and particularly in that day when everybody, nobody had desk jobs. They were all working with their hands. And your toes are where you go. And, and it, it, in this, it reflected that when the priests became priests, God was saying, every part of you, every part of you must be dedicated to me. And I, I would suggest this morning that all of us, we are called to this kind of priestly surrender, to say, God, my ears, may my, everything I hear glorify you. God, may my, my thumbs, may the, may the work of my hands bring glory to you. And God, may every place I put my feet, may it glorify you. This is the kind of surrender we're called to. This, we're not called to a Sunday morning come to church and like raise our hands a little bit if we feel like it. We're called to a deep surrender, and that is a difficult thing to do, but it is transformative. It transforms us and transforms the world. Okay. So why does this matter to us today? Why does Leviticus 8 through 10 matter? First thing is this. God is still into using regular people. Regular people who make all kinds of mistakes, regular people who cut somebody off on their way to church, regular people who are mad that they couldn't park in their regular parking lot and had to park out there. He's still into using regular people. This is our good God. And um, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, this is a shout-out. This is why we actually have to know Leviticus because the New Testament makes a whole lot more sense. It says, but you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. God is still into using regular people. And this does not negate the holiness of God. This does not say that, oh, like, God doesn't really care. No, no, God is still holy, but he will use you in all of his holiness to call you to a new sense of holiness. I mean, you can't, you can't be holy on your own. Some of you are worried. Is the fire of God going to come out and consume me? No, because Jesus' blood covers us now. We no longer have to worry about... And by the way, you can't be holy on your own merits anyways. None of us can make it. God actually makes us holy. He's still into using regular people. The, se the second thing is this. We talked about this a bit. In Jesus, every part of life is elevated. This is what's beautiful about reading Leviticus. I pray that you'll never read it the same again. You'll read it, and it will be about the candlesticks, and it'll be about the basins, and you'll think, yes, me making my bed matters. Yes, I mopped my floor in the Go Clean co-ways, and it mattered. I used bleach today. Praise God, it matters. Next week, we're going to talk about rashes. Oh, no, actually, we're not next week. Um, next week, we're having guest speakers. This is a side note. Al and Esther Derry are going to be with us next week. It's going to be great. Bring all your friends, and we're going to have baptisms next week. It's going to be amazing. But in Jesus, all of life is elevated. All of it. This is why we need artists, and we need people who will be good cooks, and we need people uh, running cameras, because every part of life he has breathed on, and he has blessed and said that it was good. Huh. 
It's amazing, this God we serve. And then finally, um, I, wa I want you to know that God is still ordering a new creation. Like he ordered a new creation, telling the priest you're going to stay for seven days, for seven days, please stay there for seven days. Readers, get it. For seven days, I am ordering a new creation. And God today is still ordering a new creation. Now listen, this What's amazing about this is that we learn about the grace of God here. This is risky for God. He did this in Genesis chapter 1, and by Genesis chapter 2, the people had messed up. And then in Noah's day, he created a new creation, the flood, and then the people messed up. Like, shortly thereafter, they went and saw Noah, who had drank too much. This is terrible. And then we get to the slavery, uh, when the, the Israelites were away from God. And then we get to here in Leviticus chapter 8 to 9. He, he says, I'm creating this new creation, and then by day 9, the people had messed up. Do you see this over and over and over again? All throughout the Old Testament. And then you, gotta, you, you have to know this. The book of John, um, there are seven miracles that Jesus does in the book of John. Seven major miracles that he does. Again, the writers of the Old Testament and New Testament, they didn't say, hey, listen, I'm doing this really cool thing here with numbers. I'm going to let you know. Because everybody knew that that's how it was. They were master storytellers of subtleties. In the book of John, Jesus does seven miracles. The eighth miracle he does is his resurrection. This is why Leviticus is so awesome. This is why the Bible is so awesome. God is still creating a new creation. And he says this in his word, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. God, God, listen, he keeps getting in the boat with us. We keep messing up and keep having unauthorized fire and doing all kinds of nonsense, and God keeps getting in the boat with us, saying, you, you, you're worth it. I, I want to create a new creation out of you. Some of us are here, and we, we maybe... It feels like everything's a train wreck right now. God wants to create a new, new creation. I want to pray for us this morning. Some of you are here and you need to make that decision today to say, yep, Jesus, I'm, I'm going I'm to stake my whole life on you. I need to be made new again. Some of us are here and at one point or time, one point or another, we said yes to Jesus, but you know, we got a little off track. T today, I want to call you to say yes to him to say yes to his ways, to say yes to, to his purpose in your life. Because he wants to create a new creation in you. Can we stand all across, our, all, all across this place today? God, we're so thankful for your word, your word that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you that you illuminate the path for us. You make, you make springs in a desert. God, I'm praying for every person here today. God, some of us are here and we have never made it, we've never said yes to you. God, I pray that we would, we would be courageous today to say yes, to jump into the unknown, so to speak. We don't, might maybe not have it all figured out, but God, today we want to say yes to you. God, some of us are here today and we've, we've drifted from you. I just thank you, God, that you never give up on us, that you use regular people like us, and you're always calling us into this new creation. So I pray that you give us courage to say yes to you if we've drifted from you. 
Jesus, we love you. I, I'm praying for every one of my friends today that, God, you would place a new love for your word in our hearts, <laughs> that we would grow in this season, that we would be formed into the image of Jesus. I pray encouragement on your people today. Supernatural encouragement in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church. Thank you.